All right, my friends, welcome to the very first episode of the Robust Human Podcast. I couldn't think of anybody better to jump on this podcast after we rebranded from the Kokoro Movement Podcast than the one and only Dr. Joe Lavaca. He is a physical therapist based out of New York City. He is really working hard to change the game as far as how we communicate with our clients and our patients. And I'm just really excited about this conversation. Just a side note. I realized as I was editing this podcast that my microphone was not plugged in, so please forgive the poor audio, but this was a phenomenal conversation, so please enjoy. Without further ado, Dr. Joe Lavaca. just kind of blacking out 2020 in my brain yeah you know what I mean? it's just gone and then I'm like oh that was a whole event and I still probably have some anxiety about that so like what yeah how are you guys in New York are you fully open or I mean we're fully open I don't know if the city is going to probably be the city from like what I remember or you remember for maybe like another I don't know maybe another year maybe two years I don't know yeah. I think that there's still this big discrepancy in what people think they should be paying for rent and what rent actually is. So a lot of places are just staying empty or boarded yeah. up or, um, you know, where I'm in, I'm in Flatiron. So I'm on like 20th and 5th. Yeah. Uh, and I think if it wasn't for the Harry Potter store that just opened there on the, on the corner, um, that whole place would kind of just feel dead um yeah luckily there's a lot of tourists there's a lot of just people who love harry potter just crowding around that area now and it's like all right maybe let's just start breathing some life back and then out you know like yesterday i left work and there was an ice cream truck and there was a hot dog stand and i was like oh this is this is good right you know but yeah you know, all, all your favorite delis are closed like you gotta like search for coffee now and you're like wow this this, this feels like you know not the new york of like you just go anywhere and just reach your hand out and be like i want this and you have it i want this and i have it i want this and i have it you gotta like uh you know, do some digging right and it's super weird i went to i was down in phoenix as an assistant educator for the neurokinetic therapy and i put on a mask and walked into a coffee shop and i was the only one wearing a mask and i was like okay this is weird and then i also thought well it's weird that it's weird you know what yeah, i mean yeah exactly <laughs> Exactly. And then, so now Arizona is just like, whatever, didn't happen. It's yeah. fine. And I'm just, yeah. it's, I just don't, it's, and now I just like, am one of those people that just doesn't wear a mask anywhere. And I'm like, okay, now that's weird. So like, what does yeah. normal mean? You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> no, totally. And I think it's, a, it's just how hard the pendulum swings with this stuff. Right. It's like, yeah. you know, you have all these rules and regulations on Sunday and then on Monday they all stop where it's like you know the message it's not even like remotely close to like any graded exposure thing we would do with the client right it's like hey gradually over the next two weeks um you can start taking your mask off where you feel comfortable it's just like nope starting at midnight 
COVID-19 no longer exists in these places that you're totally fine and do all this other stuff. And you're like, whoa, um, that was a big switch from locking myself in my house, um, you know, six months ago. Yeah. Like a runner comes in with a hurt ankle and you fix the ankle and they're like, can I run tomorrow? I'm like, yeah, run 50 miles. Who cares? <laughs> There's no slow starting. It's just like, get after it. Yeah. Ultra yeah totally. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I guess that's, that's how we've become as, as human beings, right? Like all or nothing these days. <laughs> yeah. Which is really frustrating because there's a whole gray area that is like the nose on people's face. Like they just don't even see it. It's just yeah. like this or that. And so, yep. you know, that's like, that's one thing I wanted to talk to you about. You posted, uh, you posted this post God, a while ago that was just basically asked the question, what is missing from like the medical industry? And I was like, wow, that is really interesting because I'm a massage therapist and I have a lot of people that come in and are like, this is what my PT said, or this is what my Cairo said. And I'm like, why did they say that? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. And like, like I just read some books. Do you need some books? Like, what do you need? Yeah. Like, this is so right. weird. So like I had, uh, I've been fortunate enough to work with like these elite runners, like the Bowerman Track Club. I worked on them and, you know, they, um, the NAU track team has just been crushing it this year. And uh, I had one runner come in. She was having um, pain and weakness in her hip flexor. So she couldn't run. And she came in and she's like, well, the chiropractor told me that it's bone. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, do you not have a bone? Is it bone on bone? Is it like a stress fracture? Do you have a compound? Fra what does it mean? You can't just say yeah. it's bone. Like, yeah. so if they're running for a college, that's essentially their job. So you can't just take away their livelihood just by saying some innocuous thing. Just say, I don't know. Right, right. Yeah, just, it's fine to be, it's fine to not know. Yeah, and maybe that's the biggest thing missing in healthcare is this like humility of, oh, for sure. hey, I, I don't have every answer and that's okay, right? I mean, and, and I think, you know, when you, when you were saying like, Hey, you know, like I, I'm a massage therapist and then the PT said this, you know, I, I think that this is so important why we need multidisciplinary care um, for people, right? Like, I, I don't think that PT holds the answer for every single person. I'm sure chiropractors don't, you know, really believe that either. And you can kind of go down the line, but if you think about, you know, school, right? Like I wouldn't go to my math teacher and ask her about life sciences, mm. right? I wouldn't go to my, you know, science teacher and ask him, you know, what he thinks about, you know, uh, political history, right? So you have to like go, I think, to correct sources. And I was actually just thinking about this this morning on my run. So it's weird, it's, it's interesting that you would bring this up as, as one of our first uh, topics to hit on, but even trying to reframe the, the whole biopsychosocial model with, with people, because I always see a lot of these posts on Instagram, on, you know, even from some of our own colleagues, that's maybe when you don't have evidence for something, you kind of upplay the client experience or you maybe upplay your clinical experience. <laughs> and, and I think the way that I've come to, to terms with this now is that we have to weigh all of them evenly, right? They're all yeah. part of a part of a decision-making process. So if there's three pillars, which was my experience and your experience and the client's experience and then what clinical research says, well, then they all have to carry 33% weight in making a decision. So if we don't have good evidence for something, 
well, maybe I'm only really like 66% sure that this is going to work for you, where if we had good research and, you know, like your, your client was saying like, hey, well, what should I do now? Right. It's like, well, hey, well, here's what the research says. I, I know that this hasn't been your experience yet, but we can train your experience, match it with mine. And then now we have this. So I think there's, there's different portions of that biopsychosocial model that are a little bit more moldable with like probably clinical research not being moldable. And then, you know, we either have to bend our beliefs or we have to try to help facilitate the client's beliefs um, or experiences with a particular treatment. And then, you know, if not, hey, that, that client's really resistant. Well, then, hey, I, I, you know, I personally, like, I, and to just use your, I don't know a lot about massage therapy research. I don't have a lot of experience giving massage. It just wasn't what I was taught in school. So when a client comes to me, like, and this happened once or twice, I think last week, maybe, but it happens every week um, yeah. where I'm like, you know, what will make this appointment successful for you? And, and people are usually like, well, you know, I'm really hoping that you can massage um, into this and this and this. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm not incapable of doing that, but I don't think that's one of my best skill sets for you. Right. So I know luckily a couple of massage people that I can refer you to now, but you know, previously I would just be like, okay, uh, and then I would do it just to kind of like, you know, thinking about the BPS model, like, okay, well, this is a you know, client's experience and, you know, whatever. But now that was only maybe two thirds of the circle. Like I didn't have a good experience with it. I didn't know any literature to help support or like, you know, skew my brain or share with the client. And then now it was very like, well, I, I guess I was successful maybe 30% of the time making them feel better because I just didn't have that skill set, right? Right. Um, and that's why that's why like I, I always love like reading your posts and other people in the field that that I don't want to say think differently than me, but I think we all think differently from each other. But actually, it's just view problems from different lenses, and that's why I really kind of share the books um, that I read or or I've been trying to be a little bit more consistent um, with just citing the reference of the research article that I pulled the thought from like, Hey, I, I had this thought after I read this article. So I've just been kind of trying to put those in little captions. I don't know if people even read that far, but when you it's, don't do that, yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, how dare you have an independent thought? It's like, <laughs> I know it's super, it's super weird. And so, you know, I, uh, like, and then I reached out to you a couple months ago with that runner that was having that hamstring issue, you know? And I was like, she's been having that issue for two years. She's done nerve conduction studies, been to everyone on earth. Nobody's been able to figure it out. And I just said, look, I have no idea, but I've had the fortunate experience to learn from the smartest people on earth. And I'm going to reach out. And I reached out to like six different people and they all gave me six different answers. And I tried all of them and it worked. And I'm like, cool. (laughs) So like a majority, (laughs) a majority of my experience as a massage therapist and the reason why I pursued the education that I pursued is because I was so irritated by what, why isn't this working? You know what I mean? So that's pretty much what my practice is. Does this work? Yes or no. And if it doesn't work, what can we do to make it work? And then the further, you know, like when I get up to like, you know, the clinical neurodynamic stuff, then I can really kind of determine if it's above my pay grade or not. And I think that's really important. And I think that's like you said, the humility is, is like, just because you have that 
dr dot in the front of your name doesn't mean you know everything yeah you can just probably means you know that much about a very specific topic right that's how you get the dr and the phd and everything else like you have to you know sniper your lens so so closely to one subject that you know maybe in some ways that you know when people are seeking a a doctor expecting to know the answer maybe that's actually the wrong way of looking at it like where you want to try to go to someone maybe more holistic like yourself or me who has a broader scope um, and then say, hey, okay, if the broader scope of, of, of my experience is here and here, and now, and now you mentioned uh, you were teaching with NKT. I mean, that's a whole different experience in itself when you start to actually teach something. Yeah. Um, you know, and the more you talk and you start stringing together ideas, and then, you know, I, I've had this happen when we were doing top down with Courtney. I've had this happen with Rock Tape. I've had this happen now with uh, teaching with Fringe. It's like you start to just speak and you're like, I don't even know what I'm saying but I just can't stop. And then yeah. like you start to put together these like far flung ideas in your mind. And that's, you know, that's, that's really, really cool. So, you know, I think like, you know, the more narrow the lens and, and look, everyone exists for a reason. Right. But I think when people have a more narrow lens, they're looked at as like knowing more or knowing the answer more than, you know, maybe someone else. And I don't know if that's always the case. I think again, just because they have such narrow lens and, uh, you mentioned hamstring, maybe the, the leading expert in research for hamstring injuries. Okay, fine. Like they, they might be able to offer one or two different suggestions that you hadn't tried, but do they know anything else about your runner? I mean, was she, you know, having proper nutrition? Was she having normal period cycles? Was she sleeping at night? I mean, like there's so many other elements that, yeah, okay, thanks for the hamstring exercise, but um, I'm going to put this into the puzzle as still a piece of the puzzle. Right. So, yeah, I think that, and that's what we're always trying to to do, and that's why I love I love it when you or anyone else reaches out to me because I, I often find that I'm doing the same thing and reaching out to people. Um, probably Courtney, Courtney less than anybody else because you know I just can't ask Courtney for anything because you know, I can't I can't I can't I can't go down that route, Jesse. Right? You know, I can't, I can't go, yeah, can't go to Courtney. Admit that I don't know something. Um, oh man, yeah, that's what, that's when the relationship gets complicated. Man. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I I reached out to some foot person in Indonesia. I found them on Instagram. She's like, "Why don't you talk to me?" I was like, "Nah." nah. It seemed like outside your. It seemed like outside your scope. Right, and so that's the (laughs) that's the interesting thing about these collegiate runners, man. Is they're like, not only are they running at an elite level, like multiple, like there's there's there was a bunch of them that qualified for the Olympic trials as a college athlete. So cool but then they have to like maintain like a grade point average. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And, you know, so then I I really started diving into uh, the human locomotion with Nishad because I started getting all of them. Yeah. I started getting all of them and I was just like, man, we need to know more about the foot and the knee and the ankle because you start like doing the math. Like some of these people are running 80 to 120 miles a week which is anywhere from like a hundred or 160,000 to 240,000 steps per week. And then yeah. you start to think, well, their body weight increases two and a half times to five times, depending on their level of fatigue. And then all of a sudden this 120 pound kid weighs 315 pounds. And yeah. then, so he's absorbing 95 million pounds of force a week. And then he's like, my knee hurts. And I'm like, yeah, it does. I don't, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah yeah, like, yeah and like when i was working with like uh a lot of these uh, elite runners 
I started to really understand like the job of their coach and my job is to literally keep them from exploding, like essentially, because they're running so much. And then when they go and race and then come back to me, I'm like, Oh, this is what an all out effort looks like. Yeah. Like, and then, so like what you suggested to me with the hamstring is like, Hey, check the hip extension. Hey, check this, check that. And then I started going down that route. And because of COVID the running team, like basically eliminated their strength and conditioning program. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that a lot. Right. And so from there, it's like, man, a little bit of strength goes a long way. Like if you just do hip cars a couple times a day, their brain has more awareness of what their hip is doing and it gets right. a little bit more strength. And then that that's lessens the proclivity for injury and compensational patterns. Right. Right. I, and I think that, you know, that's what you said. I mean, I don't think people realize that they don't have to do as much as they think, right. um, you know, even making these small changes that we suggest uh, it seems like a lot at first, but I think people come in and they're like, Oh God, I'm gonna have to do this every day. I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, you want to run, you know, three hours, if you can't take four minutes to take care of yourself a day, I don't, I don't know, that's not a, it doesn't seem equal in my mind, right? Like, and then like, you know, when we talk about, you know, research, sometimes I like research, because it's just going to give us the minimally effective dose. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it, for my average person, my average client, I mean, or maybe even elite people, um, I don't know, do I have enough research to tell them, I need you to strength train more than two times a week to achieve benefit. You know, I mean, you know, if you look at guidelines across the world, I mean, we don't know a lot about a lot, but then, you know, there's so many different styles of exercise and heart rates and intensity and and all this other stuff. And it's like, well, Hey, as long as you're getting moderate exercise every day and you strength train twice a week, um, you're probably checking a lot of boxes when it comes to exercise. So it's not something that like me or you are trying to get people to like live in the gym. And yeah. that's always like someone's, someone's big thing is they're like, well, I don't have a gym membership. I'm like, well, that's cool. You don't need it. Um, yeah. And you know, we can do things with your body. And there's this wonderful thing now uh, called Amazon that you can get anything you want sent to your house at, at any given moment in time. So yeah. you can get one dumbbell, one kettlebell to start. And then you can let two or three bands build up over time. And then now that, you know, maybe you spend three, $400 over the course of a year. I mean, my gym membership is like 175 a month out here in New yeah. York. So, you know, for the cost of, you know, one or two months of gym membership, you, you just built a gym in your house. Hey, right. now you don't have any excuse. Right. So I think, right. I think it's helping people see the big picture for sure. And, you know, Thomas shot is one of those people. I mean, that not only Courtney speaks so highly about, but I like, just across the board, I haven't had the privilege of meeting him yet, but across the board that everyone who's met him just speaks volumes of that individual. And I still feel like not enough people know him or know his work. And, you know, that's the thing. It's like, you know, we can all cite, you know, these, you know, influencers on social media, but then you have, you know, someone like Tom who's, who's, who's offering you these, these amazing clinical things to think about. And I feel like not enough people know who he is. So hopefully that continues to change. I saw him at a course recently in New York City that I think I was actually teaching myself, so I didn't get a chance to go. But I mean, um, you know, the thing I've been thinking about too, even with even with these runners, is because I've been doing a lot of breathing um, research lately, or just diving into the breathing world a little bit more, trying to 
develop some some new content for Fringe. And and I started to think, well, I mean, if if we're doing these long activities, well, what's the breathing pattern of these runners, you know, as they start to fatigue too? You know, do they start to mouth breathe? Do they start to, you know, change their respiratory rate? Do they start just going into inhalation, you know, cycles? And if they're not supplying their tissues with oxygen, well, then those tissues are going to continue to stiffen. And then that stiffness is going to, you know, there's a Goldilocks, you know, pattern of stiffness, you mm-hmm. know, really stiff things break, but then really soft things, you know, don't propel force or don't dissipate force. And, you know, could it just be that um, a lot of their breathing styles become so inhibited as they continue to fatigue? And I watch some people, amateur runners, mostly cross finish lines, and they're always like, <laughs> you know, gasping. And then the more elite competitors who usually finish races, I mean, they're, they're running around with their flags at the end of the day. You know, like they're, they're, they're jumping up and down into family members' arms, you know, like they still have more energy in the tank because they're just mobilizing different fuel sources. And then, you know, for someone like me, well, I would never be able to finish a marathon anyway in my current state, but uh, it's not a dream of mine either. Yeah. Um, you know, but for me, I just feel like I'm, I'd be that person like that we saw, I think it was one of the Hawaiian Ironmans, like just like kind of like convulsing as I went down to the finish line, because I would have no idea what to do. It would just be all survival at that point. Yeah. So that's intrigued me. And then even with runners, I actually reached out to Chris Johnson and Jay DeSherry about um, a question that had come to my mind, I think when I was reading about, uh, it might've been Sapiens, it might've been uh, some book just referencing like how we as hunter and gatherers evolved. And, you know, this is something that, you know, um, a lot of cultures continue to do. They'll run together or they'll play together for some sort of religious ritual, um, or they'll go out with a purpose for running or jogging, not to just go run and jog, you know, by themselves. And I was wondering if I was like, is there any data for like these athletes, those injury rates go down if you're in a group running program Mm -hmm. versus a solo training program. Because now you have this like almost like community, like interaction of everyone supporting each other. And, you know, is that more kind of like we were designed to run like in small groups of bands and, and to kind of have like the idea to be able to converse with each other even. Um, and maybe that normalize your breath cycle, that slow your cadence down to a more natural sort of rhythm. So, you know, I haven't seen anything like that. I, I've tried a couple of combinations in PubMed. Um, you know, running and talking with friends and that doesn't seem to yield any good hits, but I'm probably just not searching it right, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, wow. There's a lot to kind of unpack there. So like, like Mashad's book is so good, but it's so dense for me. Like I would remember, yeah. oh, I remember like too. reading the paragraph and then reading the paragraph again, and then like writing down what I think he said, and then reading the paragraph and what I think he said, and seeing if that stuff like matched up, yeah. <laughs> and then just kind of like, you have to yeah. kind of like translate it, because he goes so deep, so hard, so fast. Um, right. But yeah, so, th- so one thing from a manual therapy perspective that I started finding with these runners is they are terrible breathers. Terrible. Yeah. And so like their, their, their diaphragms are pretty much dead in the water for the most part. And so I don't know if it has to do with how much they're used, like if they're overusing it or what, but like they, um, like I would say a majority of them, the ones that have like hip flexor pain, like hip flexors are what takes over if the abs aren't working. 
right? Yeah. Or, you know, the front of the neck usually. And so, you know, based off of your guys' course, you're, the abs are what kind of load in order to help swing that leg forward, right? So if the abs fail and the diaphragm supports the abs and then the hip flexors are doing all the work, then it's just like they're, they have hip flexor pain left and right. And so when yeah. I, when I start, you know, like in, uh, in rock tape, you guys teach with the, uh, with the, the band to wrap it around the diaphragm. So they have something to breathe into, you know? So when I get them on the table, I do a diaphragm release and then I push into their ribs with my hand and then have them try and expand into my hand. And it takes some of them like 10 to 15 minutes to even figure that out. And yeah. if it's taking that long, then I go into the intercostals and release all that stuff and then have them get there again. And they get faster uh, at trying to figure it out. But for the most part, I think they are just, I think the elite runners are just so efficient as opposed to somebody like me who like can run three miles, but then is like totaled for a whole week. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, so it's been, it's been a really interesting kind of experiment, uh, you know, especially doing muscle testing from, you know, the average runner to the elite runner. We all have the same dysfunctions. We all compensate yeah. kind of the same way, but they're just better at it and it takes them longer, you know? So yeah. Yeah. humans are just so weird. Every time I'm like just diving into these people and like, God, you guys are crazy. I don't yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, and it's literally just everyone. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Yeah, we all, and like you said, we all struggle with the same things. I mean, uh, mentally, emotionally, physically. I mean, and and I think um, you know when you read um, things like Grit by Angela Duckworth, um, you know, it's like, well, you know, some of us just become internal motivators or intrinsically motivated, and we're like, okay, that's great. And then some of us are extrinsically motivated and. Um, you know, we need like a carrot dangled in front of us to kind of do the right thing or, you know, try to feel better. And, um, you know, on, on some of the stuff that I was reading today, that's like almost like a very economical way of thinking, right? Like yeah. I need to be rewarded for doing something. And then that brought me back to like the vaccines of how we're trying to, you know, get these kids to go get vaccinated and you'll get a free Bud Light. And I was like, well, shit, I mean, I, I mean, I'd go do it for a free beer, but there's probably not the right reason to go do it, right? Um, yeah where you're not thinking about like the bigger picture of, you know, just healthcare, humanity, you know, Hey, how I, I don't know how I would react to the disease. Right. And now it's a personal choice. People get vaccinated or they don't, Hey, that's up to you. But that would go back into your intrinsic motivation to do or not do something. And then, but to try to like dangle a carrot in front of someone, you know, it's really hard. And, and, and for the breathing stuff, I think that it's, it's just given a lot of my clients, like an inability to make an excuse, you yeah. know, and it's like, well, Hey, look, I don't need you to go into flying Lotus. I don't need you to like, um, light a candle in the corner of your house. I don't need you to, you know, go cross leg butterfly, you know, whatever. I just need you to just focus for three minutes and even just pay attention to how you were breathing and just like, give yourself like into uh, deep internal feedback, like, Hmm. I'm sitting here on my couch watching Netflix and I was like yeah. gasping for air. Like maybe yeah. I don't really need to be gasping for air right now. And <laughs> that's all I need you to think about. Like, that's it. Like, that's like, that's part one. Like just keep doing that every day and then come back with a report card on yourself of like, yeah, you know what? Every time I drew attention to myself, I was just like panting like my dog does. And I'm like, 
hmm, well, your dog doesn't have like a cooling system like you do. So unless you don't have sweat glands, I'm going to try to encourage you to, you know, maybe to just think about closing your mouth a little bit more and then let's start that, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's really, really interesting. And then, so you've been talking a lot about, um, like this, the, the mindset and the emotion behind things too. And so it's been really interesting to look at these people. So they were all supposed to be at the Olympic trials last year. Mm-hmm. And so I remember um, back in my MMA days, I was training one of my guys for his fight and his fight kept getting pushed back. And so he, you know, we had a three month training camp. We peaked fight gets pushed back. So we have another month on top of that. And then it gets pushed back again. We have another month on top of that. So he's been peaking for two months. And so his body's just wrecked. You know what I mean? So they were peaking for like another year, you know? So then they, and when I was like training for a CrossFit competition, I remember just training as hard as I can. And then it gets pushed back like a month and a half. And I'm just like, well, shit, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But then I just can't even imagine a year because then your brain's prepared for this like ultimate competition and then it just gets pushed back a year and then not yeah. even a year but like a year maybe and maybe, then, right, right right and so then the amount of pressure that they put on themselves like you can start to see these like world-class athletes kind of start to break under the pressure and it's just like yeah. it's like a momentary thing like i remember um I uh, was competing in a jujitsu tournament and, you know, we, I was at the, I was at the tournament for eight hours before I got on the mat. And so I wasn't even warmed up. I wasn't stretched out, nothing. I was just filming like one of my other guys in his match. And I kept hearing my name over the, the speakers. And I was like, huh. And then I walk up to the mat and they're like, you're up. And I put in my mouthpiece and this wrestler just started assaulting me. And I was like, what is happening? And so for two minutes, I just survived this assault and then he started getting tired. So then I started attacking him and then I ultimately ended up with like the submission and then I win, but then I have this huge adrenaline dump and then I'm so exhausted. And then my next match was with his partner. And I just remember surviving his first assault. And then just remembering that moment where I was like, you know, a silver medal is pretty cool. Yeah. And then I just like, <laughs> got choked out after that which is like and it's just like this it's people and that's how it is with like normal people in their pain they're like i can do this i can do this or then i can't you know what i mean and then it's like and you know what i talk to them about is like you know the pain is in the experience and it's in the mindset too so like you if you there's two different scenarios one you stub your toe after you win the lottery and the other one, you stub your toe after you lose your job. Which yeah. one's going to hurt worse? Right. I guarantee right. one of them you're not going to give a shit. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and there's so many awesome analogies like that one. I actually like that one, too. Um, I like that one a lot just to kind of keep to bring people's mindsets into it. But, like, even, like, where, where you're hurt, right? Like, you hurt your hand and you kind of maybe shake it out and you, you, you grip it a little bit and you move it and you keep moving it. But then you hurt your neck or your back and it's like, you're frozen in time and you're oh, like, totally. Oh no, like, you know, now I'm going to miss work. Now I can't do this. Now, now all this must be serious because it's my spine. 
when it's like, well, it's all the same tissue, dude. Like for the most part, it's all just tendons and ligaments and capsules and bones and muscles. And so if you're going to treat one thing one way, um, why not treat all of it the other way and just keep moving it or, 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 or know that you're going to be okay rather than just always immediately jump to that worst case scenario. And, um, yeah, I was listening, um, I was listening to something today where, um, this, this, this neuroscientist was talking about the idea of, of like alert, like learned responses. Right. Mm. And, and, and he was, he was, he brought up pain kind of passingly, but you know, to your point, you stub your toe, that's an acute pain. And I move my foot away as quickly as I possibly can. Right. So like your acute pain mobilizes you to, into action, but if you broke your toe, right. Now you maybe potentially have chronic pain for a few weeks because your body's trying to tell you, hey, don't do too much now. Let's continue to protect this until the bone heals. But then well, what happens in eight months or 12 months when your toe still hurts and everything is, 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 is showing up fine on x-rays and MRIs, your body did exactly what it was supposed to. Um, so then I was like, well, maybe it shouldn't be acute and chronic pain. It should be acute, chronic and learned pain mm. because now you've, you've learned a response. You've learned a uh, connection. You've learned to predict the future. And, you know, it, it, it kind of goes along the lines of everything you've done in school or, you know, your religious affiliations or your political affiliations, right? Like those took time to learn semesters of going every day for hours and then doing independent study to learn something. And then if we think of pain potentially as a learning disorder, right, where there's this mismatch of information that you've accrued in your mind, well, it took you, my daughter just went through first grade. It, it took her almost the entire year to know how to like add up money. Like, and she was never like discouraged about it. She was like, this is so much fun. Like we're doing quarters now. And then next week we're doing nickels. And then next week we're doing dives. And then, oh my God, in two months, we're going to be doing like how to tell time on a clock, you know? And it's like, you know, for her and for kids, I think learning is always exciting and it's new. And then when we get to our age, it's like, well, no, I don't know. I'm not learning anything about this. I want to just be done with it. But imagine you telling a patient or us offering a patient like, hey, look, like you're totally fine. Um, you know, could you exercise more? Yeah, that's good for everybody. Could you eat better? Yep, sure. That's good for everybody. Could you sleep better? Yeah, sure. That's good for everybody. Um, we, we can work on those things. I offer other training things, but uh, I'm going to sign you up for three months of pain school. Um, and you're going to come in every day from eight to one, and you're going to do pain school. And, and you have to quit your job. And you have to like, and then I'm going to send you with homework. So, you know, you can't help your kids with homework anymore. So you have to do your homework. And then there's going to be reading assignments. Like that's not going to go over well. Right. But maybe that should be more of the approach that for, for people to at least think about with pain. Like you go home with reading material, not exercises. You go, you come back with um, a journal entry about your experience, not, you know, did you do your knee cars the right way? Um, particularly in this like long-standing sense. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll see if I can get some people interested in that. And maybe hopefully in another year or so, I'll start sharing some stories with you. Yeah, um, that's uh, super interesting. So like, <laughs> as soon as you started talking about that, I started thinking about like my life experience, you know? So when like broken toes in like jujitsu is really common, happens all the time. Yeah. And so yeah. then you're just like, like the second you're like, oh, broken toe. I'm just like, well, if you tape one toe to the other toe, then you just have like an 
one third of his fight. <laughs> you know what I mean? But then you talk about like back pain and like recently, you know, I started um, riding like my BMX bike again and I haven't ridden BMX in like 20 years. But immediately I started getting like back pain and neck pain. And I'm just like, God, what is going on? And then I, I was riding um, at this high school and I like land this trick and then my back goes out and I'm like, shit. And then so like when your back goes out, like it's like, okay, so how do I get home? You know, (laughs) but then I started, you know, once I got past the point where I could like go home, then I started like, you know, like when I talked to uh, Chris Duffin, you know, he said when he gets injured, his training volume increases. So I just started doing that. I went to the chiropractor. I felt a little bit better. You know, my dad uh, gave me a massage and he worked on my glute med and that made me feel a lot better. But then the pain came back and then I was like, oh, so this is like the lateral subsystem. So it's either my adductors or my opposite QL. So then I started training that and I did that three times a day. Like, all the, and then I went back to the chiropractor and then I started feeling better. And then I started to realize, Oh, I'm not conditioned for this. I'm conditioned right. for other things. Yeah, so I need to yeah. get conditioned for this now. And that's why I'm hurt, <laughs> you know? So it's like, instead of just being like, Oh my God, I'm getting old, which is what I say a lot <laughs> because yeah, yeah, yeah. I am, I'm not yeah. 18 anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, if I fall down, it takes me a minute to get back up. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, yeah. but it's like, just, you know, it's really hard to kind of get people to think through what's going on, what's happening. And like, that's one of the reasons why I like the elite runners so much is because they come in and they're like, Hey, this is screwed up. Yeah. And I'm like, cool. Like my peroneals are hurting. I'm like, rat. So this is probably what's going on. I can look at these two or three things. Whereas, you know, if a, if a, just an, an average runner comes in, then I'm just like, okay, well, your ankle hurts. We need to go search through all this stuff. You know what I mean? It could be anything, right. you know? Right. And so it's a, uh, it's yeah. Every time I have conversations with anybody, I'm like, God, humans are weird. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. We're totally, we're totally weird. And I think, uh, you know, maybe that's the other thing that separates like um, us as medical providers, right. Is that we know that. Um, yeah. And we're, and we're cool with that. Maybe because we're, we're the weirdest humans of them all, yeah. but for other people to embrace that, um, you know, I think especially with the stigmatization of, of just not knowing, like, I think you brought it up earlier in our call, like, what, well, what is, the, what's normal, you know, like, yeah. um, you know, uh, who am I holding myself accountable to? There's not really another person with my background, with my experiences, with the lack of training, lack of whatever that I offer, and then all the good things that I potentially offer. So, you know, who am I, am I comparing myself to every other PT I see on Instagram? Like, well, I did that for a brief moment in time, but not anymore. You know, like for, for a while I was like, Oh man, I'm definitely failing if I'm not having people do like kettlebell swings and Turkish get-ups. And I was like, well, and then I started thinking about my patient population. I was like, I, I think Mary and John and, and Paul might actually die if I actually asked them <laughs> to do that. You know, like yeah, I'd actually so- be I'd actually be wheeling out people. And I'm like, well, and 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 now I know like, hey, I don't feel obligated to be a personal trainer every day, right? And that's right. not a negative comment about personal trainers, but I think that 
so many PTs now, especially, are, are, are trying to be something else, right? And personal yeah. trainers are trying to be uh, PTs or massage therapists. And massage therapists are trying to be chiropractors and, and doctors. And it's like, it's like, no, like, like, instead of us trying to be all like each other, which I think is what creates a lot of that hostility, um, you know, the first thing I said on our call, like when you brought up what's missing in healthcare, like, why can't there just be like an interdisciplinary approach? Like, why can't someone see a PT once every couple of weeks or once a month and then have this reliable network of, of people where, hey, well, Jesse, what did you see? Like, I know like if you were closer, it would be awesome if you were closer, but yeah. um, you know, our patients would have to fly back and forth, which I guess, you know, certain people could do. Yeah, um, some, some people just hit that limit, man, <laughs> where they're just like, I'll do whatever. Yeah, so, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. so it's funny, like, you know, for, for sure, rule number one is don't kill people, you know? Yeah. Always bad. <laughs> uh, but then, you know, kind of going back to like the learning thing where your daughter's like, taking the time to like learn stuff. I've been, you know, since I've been like an assistant with this neurokinetic therapy course, a lot of people have been reaching out to me for like mentorships and they're like, they've been doing muscle testing for like a week and they're like, I don't get it. And I'm like, yeah, I know. (laughs) Like you don't understand. Like, (laughs) Yeah. You don't understand how like I'm, I'm an obscenely determined person. And I'm an obscenely de- determined person who's not afraid of failure. So I just go in and just fail my ass off every, you know, so, and I do that because I have such a, um, a robust confidence in my base that I know that stuff can work. So if what I'm learning isn't working, I can go back to my base and at least help them, which is right. what our goal is, right? right. We're, we're at least helping them most of the time. And so like, just if you had patience and just get this stuff dialed in and then, you know, eventually you just like muscle testing becomes like magic. And that's yeah. one of my favorite things is that it's one of my favorite things because you can show people what you're doing is working because when you muscle test in their brains, like, what? I don't know what that is. And then yeah. you do some work and then it's like, oh, I know what that is now. People are like, yeah. holy shit, it's like magic. You know, yeah, and so, yeah. and then when you go and assist these courses, they're just like, why isn't this working? I'm like, try here. And they're just like, what, how'd you know that? And I'm like, I just see these patterns all the time. Right. You know right. what I mean? And so like the, the, the funny thing about the interdisciplinary approach is like, we keep talking about the ego, right? So people yeah. are afraid that they're going to lose clients forever if they refer out. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, so I had a a client the other day who was just having um, this hip pain and she came in like three times in two weeks. And each time she came in, the more she described it, the more it started to sound like when my uh, wife tore her labrum and it's all those symptoms sounded just like hers. And I was like, yeah, this is above my pay grade. I think you might have a torn labrum, but I'm not completely sure, but it sounds, the symptoms sound very similar to my wife's torn labrum. So I think that you should go to somebody else and get it checked out. And she was really, really thankful that I even just suggested that I, Hey, I'm, I thank you so much. I will go check that out. And then she came back like two weeks later and she's like, Oh, I don't have a torn labrum. And so this is what we can do now. I'm like, cool. Now we're back into my stuff. Now we can start getting you exercises and and whatever you need in order to get 
back on the right track and get you feeling good again. And so that's just, it's just getting fresh eyes is always helpful. It's crazy. Yeah. I think, um, you know, you said it about failing and Craig Liebenson has said this and, and, uh, Craig Liebenson has been someone I've been listening to a little bit more and, and following a little bit more. Um, and in one of the courses I just took from him online, he was like, look, we know we're wrong. So we just have to fail as quickly as possible. Right. You know, like, and that's why you do all these tests, you know, and I think that that's where, you know, you, you, you meet younger clinicians and, you know, or maybe even more experienced clinicians, like you said, and it's like, there's just such a fear of failure. Like I have to get it right every single time. And, you know, I, I, I find myself, you know, at the end of sessions and I have a whiteboard now with, with people that they've been really enjoying. And, you know, we write down like little asymmetries or little thoughts that we have during the course of the assessment or even even during the course of the treatment. And then we look at it together at the end of the day and, and I'm like, well, OK, like, well, we're seeing some asymmetry in your hip and we're seeing some asymmetry over here. And um, remember how you didn't quite, you know, control this single leg squat like this or your balance was off on that side. Like these are all just training opportunities for us that will, you know, make a menu of exercises. And it's not that you have to do every single one every day, but if you're hitting a, a few of these things a couple of times a week, like, well, now you have like your, your favorite restaurant menu. You have like your favorite exercise menu. You know, you don't go to the same restaurant and order the same thing all the time. Like, you know, maybe you do eventually, but you, you kind of like to dabble in it. Like I had this last time, that was great. Now I want to try this and now I want to try that, but everything is now a little bit more tailored to you. So when he was saying in his course, it's like, look, you, the reason why you test and just reassess is because you, you know, you're probably wrong. So we just got to get all the stuff that we know that we're going to fail on out of the way. And then, you know, offer people a, a couple of solutions that they can actually do and actually kind of be successful at, you know? Right. And so that's also kind of to sneak in there. The, the stuff that you don't like is probably stuff that you should be doing more often. Also right. like, right. you know, I'm not a big fan of salads. Yeah. We have a salad every <laughs> once in a while. You know what I mean? Right. Right, <laughs> so, right, right. It's like, you know, yeah, that those, those handstring cramps suck, but you probably need them. So do yeah. all the fun stuff and then sprinkle some hamstring stuff on there and you'll probably be a lot more robust. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like, it's, uh, it's, and then the other thing that I kind of wanted to bring up, which is driving me crazy and in the Instagram space is all these people just, they found success in saying what doesn't work. Right. right? And so they don't put for me on there. So like manual therapy doesn't work for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, it works for me. So I don't know what your problem yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? So it's like, oh, yeah. and then I think it was, um, God, who was it? It's one of these, these, I think it was Eric Cressy, maybe one of those like really uh, prominent strength coaches that was like, yeah. nothing works. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, so I guess obviously. Lay, yeah, lay down and, and just like, just, you know, pray to the stars that you, you feel better the next day. Yeah. Um, what what you know what i i saw a post yesterday about um like can you i think it was like kinesiology tape you know and 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 i'm and i'm sliding through these slides and i'm like wow the, this group of people spend so much time with graphics and illustrations and like you know connecting this beautiful instagram post um to just basically have you keep sliding and be like well don't use kinesiology tape it's like well 
could you put some more effort into something that's maybe more valuable? Like if I put kinesiology tape on someone, is that harming them? No. Right. If I can't get someone to move or exercise or potentially think differently or change their behaviors, those things actually might harm them. So why don't you spend three, four hours developing a beautiful Canva on, hey, this is why you should move. Oh, wow, this is fun and interacting. I should move. Oh, man, like spend time with that message rather than like to your point, um, you know, trying to talk about the things that you don't like that really is probably in the grand scheme of things. Like if you like cupping or you don't like cupping or you like tape or floss or whatever, it's probably highly irrelevant because you're going to like that brings me back to the biopsychosocial stuff where we talked about like the three pillars of education or practice. Hey, there's well, there's not a ton of research on tape or flossing or, or maybe even cupping, right? From at least you, you take a rock tape course, we're pretty open with that. There's a lot of low, low quality stuff here that we're drawing conclusions from. But if you mix in some other evidence, maybe that pillar raises up a little bit. So you're not just looking at tape research, you're looking at touch research and fascial research and, and then connecting the dots to proprioception and everything else. And now you're formulating a different way where even if your patient didn't believe it, by doing your test and retest and your education, now you've molded their experience. So to me, that's still good evidence-based clinical practice. But so many people spend so much time trying to convince, like who? Like you're not going to convince the clients who already like kinesiology taping to not get like, hey, Joe, you know what? I really appreciate you taped my back or my ankle the other day. But then I went through these slides and these guys made this beautiful PowerPoint, you know, five things. And I don't want it anymore because they told me it doesn't work. It's like, so who really is those posts for other than clicks and hearts and to get the same people who already probably interact with you to say, amen. Yep. Ha ha ha. Maybe we should put, you know, tape on a headache, you know, and it's like, all right, well now we're just like kind of like bashing people's beliefs and it's a slippery slope. Right. So, yes. you know, you see all these people with clickbait and that's really all of it. It's just clickbait. Right. right. I mean, you know, in, until people start coming up with a slide that says like, um, hey, you know, everyone should be taking opioids here. Slide left, you know, yeah. and like, hey, it's like, well, oh, this is very damaging information. Or until people are like, hey, like everyone should be um, exercising more. And here's how, you know, and slide left. And like, here's how you can just do three minutes a day. Like, that is information people can use, like to spend so much time on what may not work for you. And I like that little addition or what really doesn't have any impact in people's harm or health. Like why waste time? Like why waste time? You know? Right. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, it's funny. Cause like the, obviously tape doesn't fix a torn labrum in the shoulder. It obviously doesn't, but right. For that person, if it makes that shoulder fear, feel more stable, who cares? It doesn't well, matter. Because then the, right, because yeah. then the trickle down is always like, well, if they feel more stable, how I leave them is not like, all right, cool. Well, see you Thursday. Yeah. It's like now, you know, do you believe, like, and this is a good, legitimate question, do you believe that your labrum was really the thing holding you back? Right. And then they come to the conclusion of, well, no, because the tape isn't touching my labrum. Exactly. Right. So go home, move more, exercise more. If you feel like the tape like gives you just a, a sense of, of comfort and confidence, let's use it. 
And then, you know, in every course, and regardless of what I've taught for rock tape, um, it always comes up of like, well, you know, um, then people are going to get addicted to it. I'm like, what are you saying right now? No one can become addicted to a modality. It's not how addiction works. And if that's your comment, then you don't know how addiction works because no, no one's ever come in like scratching themselves, like not sleeping on an all night binge, like to CVS, like, Joe, I couldn't find kinesiology tape anywhere. I got to get it on me. Like, you know, like, 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 yeah. like addiction is a real problem. And then I think when you undermine it by like, well, the clients are going to get addicted to it. It's like, no, they're not. Um, because no one ever got addicted to cotton and adhesive glue. Um, at least on record that I know of. So stop making up false narratives to support the things you don't like. Oh, then people are going to become addicted to you with manual therapy. No, they'll just like me better than they like you if I do manual therapy on them. They're not going to become addicted to me because if I'm doing my job and you're doing your job, you're also explaining to them or giving them other ideas on how to take care of themselves. And every... Every, yeah, people just like feeling better. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay to feel want to feel better. But you yeah. know, and 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 you know, now that you know you're teaching more, you're going to meet more people. And I've met countless people over the last you know ten years of teaching. You know, all, really all of even I mean the world now because I was fortunate enough to, to to go to Canada and Australia and um, you know all these places all over North America with Courtney and and Rock Cave, and I've been so thankful for that experience but I've never ever 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 met anyone in any of these classes where they're like well no actually I only take or I only tell people that manual therapy is the only thing that's going to make them feel better or I only do this and I and I offer like I'm like hey look I just want to meet you because I have never there's all these people on social media yelling and bitching every day and the people they're yelling and bitching about I don't actually think exist Right. So who are, who are they talking to? Who right. are they talking to? They're right? talking and, to and, like-minded people, man. And it's like <laughs> a very, very small group of people. And so like, I wanted to kind of touch back on that circles me back around to where you were talking about the client that just wants you to do some manual therapy on their shoulder. And so I got stuck in that trap for a long time because I was convinced uh, on what the, the specialties that I have are what works. And, you know, so when people come in and they're like, I want deep tissue. I'm like, what does deep tissue mean? Like, what do you even say? You know what I mean? So like, I'm not going to injure you. I'm a 250 pound man. If I wanted to injure your tissues, I can, but I'm yeah. not going to like cause pain because that doesn't make you feel better. Or I right. just want flushing. What does flushing mean? Like, or do you have bad lymphatics? What does that mean? You know what I mean? So I get really frustrated and be like, well, your back pain hurts for this reason and this, and they're just like, but flushing will make me feel better. And so I kind of hit that transition where I'm like, oh, that's, we probably want to do what the client wants, Yeah. but we can also mix our stuff in there. Mm -hmm. So just like, like I got caught in that trap of just being so stubborn on what I thought was right instead of what the client wanted. And you can do like a combination of those things. And it's just really interesting, just kind of that little period of growth I had had substantial like improvements on my business because there's some people that want just that remedial massage therapy 
which I've been so against for so long. And right. now I'm just like, they probably just want those tissues to just be addressed, even though that's not what the actual problem is. And right. it's just, it's so just don't like, just the message is don't be stuck. Just keep yeah, moving. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And are those people just kind of seeking connection more than a massage? They may just, they just maybe don't know how to, you know, verbalize that or feel awkward, you know, gumming to maybe even a male or whatever, male to male, female to male, whatever. And just being like, Hey, look, like, um, I, I just need somebody to like touch my body and tell me I'm okay. Um, yeah. Because, you know, even, even relationship with spouses. I mean, I, I've had conversations as I'm sure you had over the years where it's like, Oh, you know, like we're not intimate anymore because like my back hurts or we're not intimate anymore because uh, my husband or my wife's scared they're going to hurt me. And, and it's like, well, okay. Like I under, actually, I actually understand why you want to be touched then because that's just a natural human experience that you're not, you know, able to have. And, you know, then when you say stub your toe, when you win the lottery or stub your toe, when, um, you know, you, you lose your job and those are much different things. So, you know, can we start to combine those worlds? Maybe the touch is like, Hey, look, you're going to be okay. You know, go home and be intimate with your partner, hold them, hug them, do whatever you want to do. Um, but they you know, gradually bring that back as well. And, you know, I had a client the other day and I've, I've been building her like these workouts and spreadsheets and we kind of link once a month. And um, in our previous interaction, she had mentioned how, you know, life and stress were just kind of like really like knocking her down and she was having a hard time being consistent. And, you know, I reminded her that just consistency is even relative, right? Yeah. Like consistency in the, in the beginning of your rehab might be something like every day, you know, can I kickstart something and change my mindset, change my beliefs, change my movement patterns. But then consistency after that might be one or two times a week, which in relation to the previous consistency is not consistent, but it's still consistent as a pattern. So I said, look, when you hit these weeks um, or you hit these days, you know, do your do breathing exercises, but then say out loud to yourself, like I'm doing the best I can and that's okay, right? Yeah, and, and, and then it goes with like literally anything. Like anything, your, anything your, job, at all, right? your job performance, whatever, you know yeah, what I mean? And then, like, you know, we linked up yesterday for a follow-up and, you know, just to update her, her exercise and everything. And she's like, Hey, look, um, the, the one thing that's on this sheet and there's like, you know, here's your A workout, your B workout, your EMOMs, your AMRAPs, all this other stuff. Right. She's like the one thing on this sheet that literally changed my life in the last 30 days was just this box right here. When you told me just to say out loud, I'm doing the best I can. And she's like, every day that gives me such relief. And I felt a massive shift in my attention to myself, my family. And she's like, I didn't tell you this, but I'm going to therapy. And like, even my therapist was like, hey, the last month has been really great for you. I don't know what happened. And she was like, yeah, because, you know, my, uh, my PT said the same thing you've been saying, but it was just weird coming from someone who you know, I don't consider part of the field that I was going to seek help for originally. And then that person also has been saying like, Hey, you just need to be kinder to yourself. And, you know, and, it, and that's what I like. I needed your consistency every week. And I just needed this one random dude in New York because I see them virtually yeah. to just be like, Hey, look, like maybe you should just listen to your therapist. And it was like mind blowing connection. You know, <laughs> just right. like, like and I've had like 95% pain three days and she's like and I could live I, I'll live the rest of my life like this past month you know and, right. and it was just like it was so cool to see that 
Um, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the posterior pelvic tilt, breathing, exhale, um, kettlebell swing, blindfolded, Airx, Bosu juggling exercise I gave her. It was just the fact that you just be like, hey, be nice to yourself. You know? yeah. And then uh, like, once they get that dialed in, then they can just say, hey, I'm doing the best I can, but what's one thing I can do to just do it better? Yeah. yeah and then yeah, you can yeah. start yeah. progressing from there. And it's like better is maybe just vacuuming once a day or yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knows? Like who knows? It's it's uh it's really interesting. I'm gonna take a restroom break real quick and then we're gonna talk about fringe. All right, cool. All right, I'll be right back. So that is what just happened is a good parallel to the pain experience, right? So like if you have to pee real bad. All of a sudden, I'm like asking Joe Lavaca questions, and then I'm not paying attention to anything he says because I'm just like, oh my god, I'm about to be my pants, you know. So that's like that's a good parallel to pain, you know. Some people get to the point where they just <laughs> can't like focus on anything because yeah. that's all their brain can focus on. So just yeah. like if you can get them to like, like you can get them to the point where they can focus on their life instead of their pain. You just made a substantial amount of progress in their life. You know, yeah. I just thought that yeah. was funny. <laughs> yeah. Consciousness is a tricky thing, right? I mean, it's like you can only focus on one thing at a time and then maybe like one smaller thing. So I always tell people you can't read a book and listen to a book at the same time. That would be really cool. Right. You just start pounding out two books, oh, two dude. books a day. <laughs> yeah. I haven't, uh, yeah, my reading has gone down substantially. I think you were talking to uh, John Campione about that on the Rock Tape podcast where you're like, oh my God, pandemic, I'm gonna have so much time. I can read so many books. And then you're just like, I don't wanna do anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, screw that. Like, cause your routine of reading got, got thrown off. It's like now I can read at any time. Whereas I had these train rides, I had these, you know, days carved out into my, my even at night where it's like, hey, I'll, make some tea i'll read um you know and then that was like I, I would have one book on the for the train rides i'd have one book at night and then one book sort of like at work that helped me do like clinical stuff so there's always like different mindsets of, of of each to where i would bring like hey look like you know i should read more about like joint structure and function so i should bring that book to work and then in between clients i could always just like thumb through the pages and you know blah 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 reference some things and then on the train ride in that's where I'll work on some side stuff. And then my book at night is like just me winding down. Me and Courtney read books together too. Not, yeah. like, not, like, to, not like to each other. That would be right. cute, but not like to each other. But we have like a little, you know, we have like a little book club of like, just like sometimes it's like random things. Sometimes they are things that pertain to um, what we do. But most of the time it's just like stuff that we just like both mutually find interesting. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, yeah. and then... So yeah, so that, that that's been fun, but that's that that now I'm kind of like back on that routine because of um, I'm in work three days a week, yeah. and now working on working on fringe, and and so now I have kind of like this set like schedule again. So I feel yeah. like I'm back in a good good groove, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's talk about fringe. What's what's up with that? What are you doing? Yeah, so fringe um, started off as as an idea to bring sort of the practices that we've always done as human beings to take care of each other back to um, more mainstream medicine. So, you know, this thought process that there's alternative healthcare out there and alternative healthcare is this holistic approach, like working on your relationships and eating right and 
and, um, you know, w using plants to heal and, you know, using breathing and prayer and spirituality, right? It doesn't have to be religion, but these were things that for thousands of years, um, human beings truly believed in, and that's how we took care of each other. And we had to have done a fairly good job if we're here now talking to each other over a computer screen, you know, 2000 miles away. Right. Yeah. And we had to have done a pretty good job being that we are the dominant species of the planet. Um, so there was probably something to that. The unfortunate aspect of you know, reading a lot about the, the histories of these medicines is they all seem to like suffer the same sort of consequences or they were just completely ignored by, you know, the West uh, as meaningful because the West became very scientific and lab-based and all these other things. But when you remove yourself from this lens of just North America and realize that North America is not the world. And if anybody listens to this, that might, you know, they might have to pause and rewind it and be like, what do you mean? No, North America <laughs> is Earth. Um, no, North America is not Earth. Um, there are a lot of different things out there. There are a lot of still different beliefs and different treatments. And, and even in North America, if you consider North America Earth, I mean, how many different schools of thought could me and you sign up for? You know, like I can go down um, the NKT path. You can go down the FRC path. You can go down the PRI path. You can go down the uh, McKenzie path. You can go down the Mulligan path. You can go down, um, you know, 17 other things that are just like, oh, FMS. You can go down everything that has these linear ways of thinking to, to treat a person in front of you. And here's the coolest thing. None of them do each other's shit, you know? Yeah. So like, like I never go to an FRC class and, you know, they're up there saying like, Hey, you know what this works really, you know, cars works really well with PRI, right? Yeah. You guys should start to do those things together. And PRI is not up there telling everyone to do cars and, you know, FMS yeah. is not telling everybody to do, you know, NKT muscle testing. So, so they're all, they're all out there. They're all great, but there's no combining thoughts. And what's really interesting about, the fringe stuff of what we're trying to bring to the table is that when you look at cannabis science or, or plant-based science, um, these were things that cultures did completely separate of one another. Like everyone seemingly came to a similar conclusion, you know, via by trade or by just general interaction, but things don't take on that for, for no reason. So far out cultures, far out people were all using the cannabis plant in healing spiritually and physically they were using it for um clothing they were using it for uh sustainability they were using it for so many different things and then in the you know late early 1900s it became stigmatized and kind of associated with different groups of people typically minorities and it was a political basically charade that started the war on drugs and, you know, to, to read about it and, and the book that I've always told people, like, if they're even remotely interested in the history of the cannabis plant, well, we have education on that at Fringe that will take you through it. But Smoke Signals is one of the most fascinating books I think I've, I've maybe ever read on any topic. It was very well done. As, as thick as probably anti-fragile uh, yeah. to your shirt. Yeah. Um, probably in the same size font, too, which makes it even more, uh, you know, fun <laughs> to read. Um, yeah. But, you know, but I mean, to, like almost like a day by day, I felt like I was reading a day by day history 
of um, the cannabis plant and how it came to you know the level that it did today. So breathing's the same way, right? I mean, almost sort of like religion is the same thing. Like all of these different people, all of these different communities and cultures started breathing practice. We're using plants as medicine, um, went to spirituality, beliefs, meditation, um, nature for answers, right? And they didn't tell each other to do that. I mean, a lot of them just started just naturally thinking that. So there has to be some sort of a connection there. So our thought is instead of, you know, terming things alternative healthcare, you know, call them original healthcare. And, you know, if they've gotten us to this far or this point as a species, yeah, look, I'm very grateful for technology. I mean, you know, you mentioned all these injuries and, and I, was, I was actually listening to ESPN radio yesterday where it was like, hey, you know, Saquon Barkley on Instagram and Odell Beckham on Instagram, like coming off of, you know, major ACL injuries are looking stronger and faster than they ever have before. So there's, there's no knock from fringe to be like, Hey, don't strength train. Don't do all the things that we know work really well in science today, but don't forget that there's a lot of basic things that were almost like interconnected that worked for a really long time. So the fact that you want to study, you know, a handful of people and one aspect of care when this was, you know, basically used by billions of people all over the world and then come to a conclusion, it doesn't really seem fair. But these guys on ESPN were like, yeah, I tore my ACL in college and they basically just patted me on the head and they were like, yeah, you're done. Like, we, we, like we'll, we'll fix it for you, but you'll never be the same. And he's like, well, now you look at the rehab approaches of these people and they're like, better than ever. And yeah. <laughs> it's unbelievable, right? Yeah. And like, you know, and, and then I even say like when we were, you know, people bring evolution into it and it's like, well, yeah, I'm very grateful for surgeons, right? Because if I would have, if I would have shattered my ankle and we were in the same tribe of like 50 people and we were herding around, they'd be like, yo, Joe, um, peace out. Um, <laughs> yeah. You're kind of, you're kind of slowing us down. We haven't, you know, I'm not going to carry you. So, you yeah. know, here's some, here's some berries. We'll come back for you next season. Uh, yeah, we'll, lines, but, yeah we know. can no longer stay ahead of the wolves because of you. <laughs> yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So it's like, all right, well, now we don't have to be faster than the wolves. We just have to be faster than you. And um, you're going to make the sacrifice for the whole, right? right. Um, so, you know, so I think like there, there are tons of advancements and there's tons of great, wonderful things. But I think at the same time, um, and um, Brian McKenzie, I think, is a really big influence on me right now, is that we become so connected to um, technology and, and, and apps and you know, social media. When, and we're not connecting to ourselves and we're not connecting to each other. So the, the whole like fringe ecosystem or the thought process of like building out our education and our community, first and foremost, is basically to try to help people find the harmony within themselves and find harmony within their worlds and their relationships. And, and putting that on, you know, I talked about equal pedestals with evidence-based medicine, putting those sorts of ideas just as important as, you know, how strong your hamstrings are, how much hip extension you have. Right. Um, because, you know, I, I have not read a ton of things, if anything, on hey, lack of shoulder strength or shoulder internal rotation is going to cause you years of life loss. Yeah. I have read a lot that if you don't have community, you're going to potentially die a lot sooner. Yeah. Um, that if you're not spiritual, you won't live as long who someone, who, as someone who is potentially, right? 
So there's a lot of things. And I think even having Avery shifted my focus where I was like, wow, you know, I want to take care of myself now, but now I feel like my mission or my goal is to be on earth for as long as possible. Right. And, and as a healthcare provider, it, I mean, shouldn't that be all of our big term goals, right? And again, from an interdisciplinary standpoint, I think we can really do that for people, but not a lot of people have a doctor or a dentist. Not a lot of people have a massage therapist or a PT mm-hmm. or, uh, or an athletic trainer, right? So it's like, that's not mainstream yet. Um, but, you know, you have your doctor, your dentist, and, and, and all these other people, your pediatrician and, and everything else, which all have a, an individual focus now. But when you think about collective humanity, the, the thing that made us thrive and be successful was this collective thought. And now collective thought is, is pushed to the side for an independent idea or a guru or, or something along those lines, right? So you know, our, our hope first and foremost is that we say that you know, fringe is, is, is community. If you have issues with pain, if you have issues with sleep, with stress, the first thing we want you to realize is that you're not alone. You're not, you know, not part of humanity or not part of a group because you deal with these things or you suffer from these things. And we're in the process of building these forums of interconnectedness where hey, not only could you come to these forums and and know that you're talking to people who struggle with the same things as you and they can offer you advice, but now I'll be in there. You know, we'll have, you know, actually healthcare moderators, you know, in there at at certain periods of the time answering questions, doing Q&As for people, um, and then just kind of having a two-way street of interaction to help people cope better, you know, or do active coping. And then we say that, you know, fringe is education. And that's where I think um, being a, a company that also offers CBD products um, is, is sort of like, it's almost like rock tape, right? You know, yeah. like rock tape, I think, set themselves apart from, you know, creating new and different education uh, and then offering it in, you know, through a, a product that everyone knew. And I think that's sort of our goal as well at, at fringe is that, hey, people know about CBD, but they actually don't know about CBD because even as I've been um, handing people some, some free samples at my job and things and that, they're like, well, you know, I'm really worried that I'm going to, you know, not be able to function at work. And I'm like, well, no, like, what do you think this is? And they're like, well, you know, marijuana is not really like my thing. I'm like, well, no, it's not. First of all, it's not marijuana. It's cannabis. Marijuana was a, you know, derogatory term associated with a group of people that again, caught mainstream. And now we all refer to it as that. I was like, but there's no psychoactive component. And I think you're referring to THC um, in our products right now. So right now it's everything just from the plant minus THC. We have some compelling evidence on pain. There's mixed literature, I think right now on sleep, there's mixed literature on stress, but I think those things are going to change and we're going to see a big shift when it finally becomes federally regulated or federally um, legal in every state because then when it's regulated and it becomes a not schedule one substance or cannabis becomes a not schedule one substance which really is what um, holds up a lot of people's beliefs on this plant or beliefs on what initially we're trying to do at fringe because um, it's very hard to study there's a ton of red tape it costs a lot of money and people just don't want to go through the hurdles of being you know, stigmatized because they're studying cannabis. 
So there's a lot of different levels to it. So the, the story that our government has really kind of built up has, has held high for many, many years. And um, reading the book, um, Calling Bullshit, is uh, you have to work you know, about a billion times harder to undo a lie than to initially tell the lie. And, and, it, and it works with almost everything in life. Like you can be out to, to dinner with your friends and you bring up, you know, someone from high school and you're like, oh, oh yeah, I heard they're, uh, heard, heard yeah. they're into a lot of, yeah, I heard they're a serial killer now, you know, like <laughs> don't, don't tell anybody because, you know, they're trying to lay low, but I heard they kill people, you know? <laughs> and then now, now you bumped into that person in the supermarket and you're like, well, they seem well adjusted. This person has three kids and a dog. How can that person be a serial killer? But now in your mind, it's like, well, this is the perfect serial killer disguise. So yeah. now as that person comes up to you, right? You're like, you have to like almost work so much harder to undo now that quote unquote truth to then get yourself back. And that's why also a lot of people don't want to work that hard to change their narratives and everything else. So that's maybe the toughest obstacle for the CBD products uh, as it stands. But hopefully, luckily soon, um, you know, aside from us being triple party um, checked. So, which means that we, the company that we work with source, um, you know, checks the plants when they, you know, kind of pull them right off the field, they check them again when they distill them down. And then we go through a third party process where people are actually picking off fringe packets, um, on the, on the shipping line and saying, okay, well, let's really see if uh, fringe offers CBD or fringe is not just selling us like baking soda. Um, so, you know, and, and not every company does that. A lot of companies do, but not every company does. So whether you're going to use a fringe product or any other product initially as part of your plant-based therapy, um, or if you want to try to sample some of these things and see if they'll work for you, um, definitely look for that for sure. Um, and if they're not going through that extra layer of test, then, you know, maybe try to find a different company. But um, I'm really excited about it because I think it's helping me change um, my views maybe even personally or, or just how I'm approaching my practice um, a little bit more now. And then not just not being scared to have those conversations with clients that, you know, these things matter. And if no one has had the conversation with you before, well, then maybe we should talk about it because you're still in pain. And for as good as I am at maybe joint mobilization, I'm not the best at it. And you've already gotten joint mobilization and manual therapy and you've already tried exercise and you've already done this so has anyone talked to you about meditation it's not you know woo woo like science there's science and there's humanity connected to this idea and this belief and um it's what had quote unquote worked for five thousand years yeah. so you know and and that was the thing about breathing is that maybe breathing research really didn't kick off formally until i don't know 1971 um, like, like really where people were like really diving into hyperventilation and, and all this other stuff. And the term itself wasn't introduced until I think 1937. Yeah. So you've had people practicing the art of breathing for 5,000 years. And now somehow, some way, when you tell people to breathe or, or meditate, they're like, nah, nah, that's not for me. And we've just negated 5,000 years of practice because of, you know, 40 years of questions. Right. Um, on, you know, how can we measure this? What are we measuring? Um, does this work? No, it really doesn't. Oh, maybe it does. And, and I think that's really confusing. So what, what I really want to try to do um, 
at Fringe with the education is really just kind of help people set a path for success. So you kind of feel more comfortable talking about your emotions. You feel more comfortable um, expressing your beliefs. You feel more comfortable um, connecting to others and maybe your, the environment around you. And then more importantly, I think leaving with a plan to do so. Yeah. So we can, you know, we can offer you guidelines on how to take CBD um, and we can help you figure out if, if, right, this is helpful for you, right? And now we can, we can do that off of certain degrees of evidence and anecdotal reports of other people. So I can guide you in that. But, you know, how do you get guided in, you know, you go to a course and it's like, wow, I really need, I really need to work on my relationships. Well, what does that mean? Well, yeah, yeah. I have no idea. Right. How do I connect? How do I connect with others? How do I express my body? How do I label my my beliefs or how do I you know, challenge my beliefs a little bit? And, and how do I do it with knowing it's OK to do so? Right. Um, like how do you get out of yourself? I, I yeah. think is like a big part of what a lot of that is, you know, so even if you are um, if you if you do have the THC component or even like there's a uh, substantial evidence and, and psilocybin's becoming legal now. Oh, huge. Yeah. And so like, it's just, what happens if you just get the fuck out of your own head for a minute? You know what I mean? Yeah. A lot can yeah. be accomplished. So, and you know, what I tell people meditation is, is just asking questions that solve problems. Like what's my real problem here? Okay. So this is my real problem. What can I do about it? Nothing. Cool. Then don't worry about it. It's not your problem. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? You just solved the problem right there. Or, yeah. you know, maybe I'm being too egotistical. Maybe I'm not advertising good enough. Or maybe I'm not, you know, maybe there's the, the common denominator and a lot of the loss of friendships is me. So what am I doing? Wrong? You know what I mean? So it's just yeah. all like when I say meditate on it, it's, you know, like uh, Andrea Spina says, it's just like concentrating. So if you're yeah. saying that you can't meditate, what you're saying is you can't concentrate on things. And that might be your problem too. So it's just, yeah. like, it's just, a, yeah. yeah, that's really uh, interesting. So unfortunately um, we could talk all day and I have to bail. I have to go do my job. Yeah, me <laughs> uh, too, brother. So, yeah, so where, um, where can people find more information on Fringe and where can people find more information on you? Yeah, so uh, for, as far as Fringe, you can go onto our website. That's www.joinfringe.com. Uh, click around. There's a ton of things to read on that website. There's a tons of things to watch on that website. Um, there's little free introductory courses on our day one kind of health whole person approach. Uh, a lot of stuff on day two with the cannabinoid science, if you want to kind of dive right into that stuff and then almost kind of, uh, see what you're getting into before you, you, you jump in with two feet. Um, so giving people that option for, uh, for me individually, you can find me at Strength in Motion PT, also through the website, strengthinmotionpt.com. Uh, Join Fringe is also on Instagram. Strength in Motion PT is also on Instagram. Uh, but I think uh, usually the easiest way to find me is through those social media channels or uh, the website. Perfect. All right, man. It was really fun catching up with you, brother. Yeah, man. Always a good time talking to you. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And we'll talk again soon. Yeah, man, for sure. All right. Enjoy your day. Later, brother.